We are going to actually come to look at the scriptures, but I'm the, the outline of my sermon this morning is to really just look at what the, the constitutional statements, a little few statements in our constitution about the Lord's Supper. So then we're going to go look at the biblical statements where the, the references were in the Bible where it comes to the, the you know, referring to the, the Lord's Supper. Then we're going to talk about some of the interpretations and the traditions because if you've been part of a church for any length of time there, every church has its traditions and also the various interpretations. We'll do a quick scan of that and then we're going to spend the bulk of our time just looking at the passages in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and then we'll celebrate the Lord's Supper together. So there are the five things that we're going to be doing very quickly this morning in the time allotted to us. So when it comes to what does this church really believe about the, the Lord's Supper? Well, it tells us in their constitution, the ordinances of the church shall be believers' baptism and the Lord's Supper. Then it goes on and says, the Lord's Supper shall normally be observed once a month each of our, of our regular services and at other times as deemed appropriate. And it goes on and qualifies that and says, all believers in the Lord Jesus shall be invited to partake of the Lord's Supper. So the, that's the official sort of position that this church takes and the, the statements it's made and, and it's very, very succinct and it's very, very brief. And so we're going to be expanding that idea and talking a lot more about that. So, well, first and foremost, is it there in the Bible? Are there any biblical references to the, the Lord's Supper? Well, there's not a lot of teaching about it. It's mentioned in Matthew chapter 26, it's mentioned in Mark chapter 14, it's mentioned in Luke chapter 22, and it's mentioned in 1 Corinthians 10 and 1 Corinthians 11. And uh, there are you know, a number of scriptures that we could just look at. There's certainly limited teaching. But we're going to come back particularly and we're going to look at the, the passages in Corinthians in detail as we go on. But in the Bible there are some other places where there's some other biblical references made. And when you come to in Acts chapter 2 and verse 42 it says they devoted themselves to the apostles teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayers. And it seems to be that that breaking of bread would probably include the Lord's Supper because the Lord's Supper was part of a meal. They, they didn't just have it as they, they celebrate, had a meal together and they would celebrate the Lord's Supper together in the early church. In Acts chapter 20 and verse 7, it says, the first day of the week we came together to break bread. And it implies the possibility that that's what was referring to, referring to the Lord's Supper. There are also other meals that are referred to in the Bible but they, where there doesn't seem to be any, any reference to the, the Lord's Supper. And there may be other references that I, I, I may have mentioned that, where it talks in terms of the, the breaking of bread. One of those was when they're on the road to Emmaus and those disciples were with the Lord Jesus and they were, it's after he'd raised from the dead and they didn't know they were walking with the Lord and they walked along the road and they got, encouraged him to come in and to, and to spend some time with them and they recognised him as the Lord when he broke bread. Now whether, I don't know whether it was just having an ordinary meal or whether it was in fact celebrating communion together. I think it was probably an ordinary meal, that's just my opinion. But we really don't know. But so that word breaking of bread, sometimes it referred to just having a meal together. Sometimes it seems to imply that it was probably the Lord's Supper. 
And so there's a few, those, a few other references. But overall, there's not a lot of, lot of teaching in relation to the, the Lord's Supper or the, the communion or whatever. And, and we'll mention a few of the other names that are referred to a little later. So what about some of the, the traditions and some of the interpretations concerning the Lord's Supper? There's a lot of different ideas that people have that what actually happens when you come together to celebrate the Lord's Supper or celebrate communion. And one of the words that's used in some churches is the word sacrament. And sometimes you'll hear people in our church here using the word sacrament when we refer to the Lord's Supper. And so, and there are various shades of, of meaning and, and people have different interpretations and understandings of that word sacrament. There are some churches that sort of see it in a more, in the sense of a, a very special way. They, it's the idea of a mystery, that something mysterious happens and they've got a series of sacraments that they base their church on. We are not one of those churches. Some, some denominations will only allow an ordained person or a person that's gone through some special training to officiate at the Lord's Supper. We are not one of those churches. Even in some church, Baptist churches, there's a, a limit on who can preside at the Lord's table. Some, in some cases, uh, they do not allow women to participate in this way, and, a, and that's a, 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 it depends on how particular churches interpret the role of women within the church. Some churches even differ in the, the way that they, what they use as the elements. Some churches use actual wine itself and, and bread. Other churches use grape juice, which is we're one of those churches. Some churches have a, a one loaf where they break the, the, the loaf of bread and they, they base that on their interpretation of, of 1 Corinthians 10 about when, when Paul talks about us being one loaf, talking about the unity of the church. And so they say you have to have one loaf and you take a bit of it. We are one of those churches that cuts up the bread and has little pieces distributed. And we also distribute the, the, the juice in individual glasses. Whereas in some churches they have a, a common cup where everyone takes the, the, the you know, communion that way. There's also a, a great variety in the, the structure of how the, the, you know, the, the communion service is run. Say, for instance, in the seating arrangements. Some churches sit around and have the table in the middle. A bit hard for us of the size of our church to do that, wouldn't it? But some churches do that because of their, very, their idea. Some churches have where you come forward for, to receive communion. And it's served to you at the front of the church. We are one of those churches where we actually serve communion to the individual people within the seats as, they, as they're seated. And so, but most churches here in, in Queensland also have communion. They leave it to the, the individual to, to decide whether they're going to participate or to receive communion. And it's left on the individual to make their own decision. We, that's what we call as, an, and that's one, in the state, in our, one of those statements I read earlier on. We leave it, it's open to all believers in the Lord Jesus. Whereas in some churches, and the church where I became a Christian, I, the first communion service I came to, there was a seat at the back. And then there was, this, and they sat around the Lord's table. I wasn't allowed to join that group because I wasn't in fellowship, as they used the term. I wasn't part of that, because they wanted to protect 
the Lord's Supper as, and, and to protect. You know, they, they didn't want people who were not, you know, were not really members of the church to actually participate in it. And so there is a great variety of different ways and different things, and I've only just outlined some of those things. One of the things is the, the frequency of communion varies in churches. There are some churches that have it daily, some churches that have it weekly, some churches that have it monthly, some churches that have it three monthly, and even in some churches even have it once a year annually. And so there's a great variety. Now, we as a church have that once a month. Now, why, do you, some of you may wonder, why do we have communion only once every month? Now, in the research that I did, and I'm not, I don't claim to be an expert in this, but I was reading through some journals when I, while I was going my theological studies on, on the subject of worship, and I read that back in UK, and I think it was the 16th or the 17th century, when the Baptist churches first got started, and they were going along, and in those days the, church, the Baptist churches were very poor, and most, church, most churches couldn't afford a pastor, so they were worker pastors. Most pastors were working during the day and pastoring the church at night and in, the, in their spare time that they had. And so they, the churches were very poor. And the churches, some of the churches decided, because they were so poor, that they couldn't afford the juice or the wine, whatever they used, every week for communion. And so they decided to have communion once a month rather than every week. Now, I'm not sure whether that has flowed through to today. There may be various other reasons, but I suspect that sometimes when traditions get started, they continue. And Baptist churches were in, in, originally were in the UK at that time were in, in associations, groups of churches, and they had a lot of communication between one another, and it's probably how that has passed on. I'm not sure about this, the history of it here in Australia. But certainly that's, that's probably why we have it once a month. So I think that's enough about the interpretations and the, the traditions. You know, let's think in terms of, well, what, let's look at the, the Lord's Supper and look at the, the, the actual, the, what the scriptures really teach about it. And we'll go, if we can, if we can to the 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and, and 1 Corinthians chapter 11. I haven't, didn't have a Bible reading because I'm going to read these scriptures as we go through and I'm going to make comment upon them. So the first reading I'm going to read is from 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 14. Therefore, my dear friends, flee from idolatry. I speak to sensible people. Judge for yourselves what I say. Is not the cup of thanksgiving to which you give thanks a participation in the blood of Christ? Is not the bread which we break a participation in the body of Christ? Because there is one life, we are many, are one body, we all partake of one life. Consider the people of Israel. Do not those who eat sacrifices participate in the altar? Do I mean that a sacrifice offered to an idol is anything? That an, an idol is anything? No, but the sacrifice of pagans offered to demons, not to God. Do not want you to participate with demons. You cannot drink of the cup of the Lord and the cup of the demons too. You cannot have a part in both the Lord's table and the table of demons. Are we trying to arouse the Lord's jealousy? Are we stronger than he? Now, the first book of 1 Corinthians is made up in 
made up of, of a series of, of messages that, that Paul is, is responding in a couple of ways to them. First and foremost, there are some errors, some things that they were doing incorrectly. And if you go, you've got an old King James version, it, the, the, the sort of when he mentions those subjects, it's prefaced by those words, among you. And also at the same time, he was answering some questions that they were raising with him. And those questions are introduced by those words, now concerning. And so there was a, a series of errors and a series of questions. And the first statement that Paul makes in relation to the Lord's Supper is on the tail end of him answering a question about, is it okay for Christians to eat food that has been offered to idols? And so he, drink, he, he answers that question in great detail. He goes through and gives a lot of information about that and a number of things that need to be considered. And also here he draws a contrast between the, you know, the, what the people eating food offered to idols do and in, in a sense they're involved in eating something that has been dedicated to the evil one, to demons, because demonic activity is associated with idolatry. And he's also, also comparing when you celebrate the Lord's Supper together and when you eat and drink, when you drink the cup and eat the bread. And he's drawing this contrast and virtually saying, hey, implying how can a Christian offer be involved in eating meat offered to idols and that's one of the arguments he's using up he used other arguments about it as well along the way but that's one of the in my interpretation of one of the arguments that he uses and so he introduces the subject of the lord's supper something which they themselves had been participating in and then later on further on in, in a chapter 11 when he's talking about he talks about some heresies in the old king james version and heresies is, an, is the, an incorrect emphasis of a truth. It's not totally, heresy is not just error, but it's when a truth is being distorted and twisted and manipulated and is not being adhered to in the way it should be. And so he, in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 17, where he talks about how, in the first, from verses 17 to 22, about how not to celebrate the Lord's Supper. So he says, and I'll read these verses from, from verses 17 through to 22. In the following directives, I have no praise for you, for your meetings do more, no more, do more harm than good. In the first place, I hear that when you come together as a church, there are divisions among you, and to some extent I believe it. No doubt there have to be differences among you to show which of you have God's approval. When you come together, it's not the Lord's Supper you eat, for as you eat, each of you goes ahead without waiting for anybody else. One remains hungry, another gets drunk. Don't you have homes to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What I say to you, shall, shall I praise you for this? Certainly not. So here was this problem. They were, having, they were celebrating the Lord's Supper. It was part of a meal. And there was a difference between the rich and the poor. The church was, was divided. And so Paul is, is explaining to them how he was unhappy about the manner in which the Corinthians behaved when they gathered together to worship. He reminded them they were divided into power groups. They were aligned with different leaders. 
They were not united in Christ. He's talking to them in terms of their relationships with one another to start with. He's talking to them about how they were working together. He condemned them in the way in which they celebrated the Lord's Supper while they ate and drank together. And it was absolutely a disgraceful thing that was happening. And so he's, he's telling them that this was not the way that the Christ, but one, the more affluent people of the congregation ate and drank to excess while the poorer people were there hungry and pains in their stomach because they had no food to eat. Their actions had failed that they, their actions showed that they'd failed to understand the Lord's Supper could, could illustrate about how that God has brought all people together. You know, and one of the things I find when if you go to the Bible and look up at those references to one another or each other, I saw an article just recently, they talked about the 59 references to one another in the Bible. There's a lot of references that in the Bible. I'm not sure whether that's all of the references, but that was the article that I, that I saw and I had a quick glance through. Paul stated here that these people were despising the, the church. Their actions really contradicted what we read about in Acts chapter 2 and verse 42 where the church came together and they broke bread and they cared for one another. If you read on from that passage of Acts chapter 2, how that they supported one another and they helped one another and they were there ministering to one another. And there wasn't this rivalry and this competition that was going on between them there was, that was, going like was happening here at Corinth. And so he's making it very clear, that's not the way to celebrate the Lord's Supper. That's not the way to do it. And he goes on, he says, now in, in chapter 11 and verse 23, in the ver first phrase, he says, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. In other words, he'd already told them. He's saying, he is assuring the Corinthians that, you know, here, you need to listen to what I've got to say because I've received it from the Lord. Lord, he doesn't explain how he received it from the Lord. Now, they were already practicing the Lord's Supper. Now, whether he had actually, and the gospel, all the gospels wouldn't have been written by now, whether there was something that there was a tradition of the, that he's as you, whether he's referring to the tradition that had developed over the time about the Lord's Supper, or whether he'd had some special revelation from the Lord himself, I'm not sure. But he's making it very clear that what he's saying comes from God himself. He's claiming authority. I've received this from the Lord. He wants them to take note and to listen to what he's got to say. Because he wants them to, to take note and to act on what he's going to say. He's wanting to pass on to them about the fact that the Lord Jesus had, had passed this on to him. And here he's reading, and he goes on, in, in, as we go on in the passage, we'll see it was on the night in which he was betrayed. He's talking in terms of where the Passover, actually, during the Passover. And the, this was part of the Passover, where the Lord's Supper started. It was part of the Passover feast, where they recalled the time when God had delivered the Israelites from slavery in Egypt. And the disciples would have understood that the Passover was an annual celebration of when the Israelites were freed from slavery and the angel of death came across. And those who had the, the blood on the, the doorpost and the lintel of the houses were saved. And of course, even earlier in the, in the same epistle, the Paul referred to as Christ our Passover who was sacrificed for us. So he's focusing them on the time of the upper room. 
As he goes on, he says, the Lord, verse 23, the last part of verse 20, the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Here he's outlining that the Lord on that night gave thanks and said to do this in remembrance of me, referring to the person of the Lord Jesus. And then verse 26, he says, he talks about whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And saying it's referring to the person of Christ and it's also talking about the work of Christ, what the Lord Jesus has done for us, the one who has died for us. He doesn't mention the resurrection, but he talks about the second coming of the Lord. So there couldn't be a second coming if the Lord wasn't raised back to life. So it's the death, the burial, the resurrection and the second coming, although he leaves out some of the, the detail and the other comments that I've made in the middle but he's talking about the death and the coming again of the Lord Jesus. So he's talking first about doing this remembrance of me, the person of the Lord, and the second thing about do this you know, in, in, until I come. You know, well, hang on, rather. Whenever you eat this bread and drink it, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So it's talking about the, the fact of he's the person of Christ and also the work of Christ. Now, one of the comments that I've read, read, read is that there are some people who get all taught all caught up in their interpretation of the when you celebrate the Lord's Supper and they almost almost say that you're reenacting the dying of the Lord Jesus because they have a different they have a view of the when the presence of the Lord there are a great variation of differences of opinion some believe that the actually the the, the, the the elements actually become the blood and the body of the Lord others say no it's uh, you know there's a uh, and there's all sorts of variations of views to others who would say that we do this as a remembrance of the Lord. And uh, so there's a sort of a range of views right along if you go through different churches. But we would be sitting on that, that position where we believe it's a remembrance of the Lord based on the, what these scriptures teach here. We don't believe that we're reenacting the dying of the Lord Jesus. The elements that actually become the blood and the body they are simply still bread and still juice or wine or whatever it is we use but they remind us they of what who the Lord Jesus is and what the Lord Jesus Christ has done for us and of course it's about until he comes some of you may have heard this story and I've heard various various variations of this one of a lady who was a, a bit of a character and she was when she was, she was talking to her pastor about having her funeral. And she said, look, pastor, what I want you to do when I have my funeral, I want to have an open casket and I want people to come past and walk past the casket. Everyone to be, have to come past the casket and look. And I'm, and I'm going to have a fork in my hand. And the pastor looked at her, goodness me, what, this is a strange thing to say. What do you mean? She said, well, look, we, our church here has lots of, 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 of here's an American one, potluck suppers or fellowship teas. And what I've always been told is that you always hold on to your fork because at the end of the meal, you know, 
there's something better, you know, you've got to, in, in anticipation because there's something better coming. And so I want people, to, I want, when, when that fork is in my hand, I want to remind people when I, when, I, when, I, when I conduct my funeral that I believe there is something better to come. And as Christians, we believe that, don't we? There's, there's, there's something better to come. The Lord Jesus is going to return. And that's what we say when we celebrate the Lord's Supper. We're saying that there is something better to come. The Lord is going to return and we're going to be taken to be with him. We're doing this in between up until that time. And so we have got something better coming. And then so Paul is reminding these people, whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And then he goes on and he's wanting to give them some warnings. Therefore, whoever eats the bread and drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and the blood of the Lord. Maybe he was referring in, a, in some way to what they were already doing, the way in which they were behaving themselves, which was disgraceful. One being, you know, the rich and the poor and they're being, not treating one another. But also there's, it's, it's referring to more than that because he goes on in verse 28, when a man or a person ought to examine himself before he eats of the bread or drinks of the cup, for anyone who eats and drinks without recognising the body and blood of the Lord eats and drinks judgment him to, to, on himself. He's giving some uh, guidelines about how preparing themselves to celebrate the Lord's Supper. He's focusing on being ready and prepared. Not just taking it casually, but being prepared, examining yourself. And he goes on and explains them. That's why they're among you there. You are, there are many among you are weak and sick and a number of you have fallen asleep. But if we've judged ourselves, we will not come under judgment. When we are judged by the Lord, we are being disciplined so that we will not be condemned with the world. So he's saying, hey, examine yourself. There are some consequences of this even amongst you. There is a, God has been dealing with some of you and you know, some of you are weak and some of you are sickly and some have even passed away because you've been disregarding what, God, what the Lord has said about, you know, exam, you know, in relation to the Lord's Supper, you have been disregarding the whole spirit of what it's supposed to have been about. So he goes on in the verse 33 and 34, the last couple of verses. So then, my brothers, when you come together, eat and wait for each other. If anyone is hungry, he should eat at home, so that when you meet together, it may not result in judgment. And when I come, I will give you further directions. He's saying, hey, relationships with one another are important. So when, wait, when you come together, consider one another. Wait for each other. He's alluding to, the, you know, if somebody's hungry, well, eat at home. I think he's implying also that to the rich people that you maybe you can help with this as well. There's possibly an implication that, a suggestion in a backhanded little way. But he's also he's re reminding these people of the importance of coming, when you come together, to treat the Lord's Supper with respect. So he's talking in terms of the relationship with the Lord. But he's also been speaking at great length about the relationship with one another. And so there's the twofold aspect. There's our relationships with one another. There's also our relationship with the Lord. 
And when we celebrate the Lord's Supper together, those two things come together. Our relationship with one another and our relationship with the Lord. But the thing is, the Lord's Supper is for those who already have a relationship with the Lord. And if there are people here this morning who don't know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Lord and Saviour, if you've never come to that point of committing your life to, to him, then this supper is not for you. It's not, it won't be meaningful you because you can't do this in remembrance of him and, you're not, and you've got no anticipation of when he comes again to go to be with him. So it really won't be very meaningful to you. But it's each person who needs to examine themselves. Each person needs to ask themselves about their relationship with one another and their relationship with the Lord. So we're going to, and I'm just going to come down from here and go down to the Lord's down to the table, and we're going to take the, the tablecloth off <coughs> and ask those who are going to be serving to come forward and to assist me, and we're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper together. Because the Lord's Supper was instituted for believers to observe. And it's good for us just to pause and to check on our relationships with one another and our relationship with the Lord. I read, that, read from verse 23b again. The Lord Jesus on the night he was betrayed took bread and when he had given thanks he broke it and said, This is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread or drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. We're all different, aren't we? I don't know about you. When I, when I come to the Lord's table, and as I bow my head and as I think about celebrating communion I start to try in my mind I try to picture what it was like for the Lord to be nailed to that cross and I go to the cross in my in my imagination and probably based on pictures that I've seen and movies that I've seen about Christian things I try to imagine what it was like and I try to visualize what it was like for the Lord to be there because I'm one of those people that visualises things. I, I think visually. That's my, the way that I think. There are other people who just like to, you know, maybe don't visualise things so much. And, and so, for others of us, it's, we, we may even think about the feelings of the people that were there. When I was doing some studies some years ago, I was taught a, a, a method of counselling people which is called neurolinguistic programming which says that people, some people are visual and they're the sorts of people that often look up in the sky, look up there, up in the air a lot. And that's why, and I'm often doing that, I look up and I think and I'm visualising and imagining what things are. There are other people who, think, who, who use words and they're, they're, they're the more the auditory sort of people and they're the ones who look straight ahead and they're interested in the words that are said and the things that are said. There are other people that are the more emotional sort of people. They call the kinesthetic people. They're the ones that often sit with their head bowed and reflective. And, and one of the things is that if you, 
in your counselling, when you're trying to talk to people, you, you listen to the words that people are saying, you listen, watch, look at their eye movements, you look at their mannerisms, and, and you're able to, to pick up whether they're one of those people. Now, we don't all sort of fit into those, strictly into one of those. We can oscillate from one to another. We can be the whole, all three of those at different times. What I'm trying to say is that as we come to celebrate the Lord's Supper together, some of us celebrate it one way. And others celebrated another way. Some of us like to be sitting quietly. Others like to have the to, to be read something that might touch us emotionally. Others of us might be the more visual sort of pe to people that I am. So what I'm going to ask you right now, we're going to just pause for a moment of, of quiet prayer for you to pray quietly, and then I'm going to ask uh, for after a few moments, ask. And Brother Daryl Sampson to give thanks for the bread. And then we're going to eat in memory of the Lord. Our dear Heavenly Father, we, we come before you in the mighty name of our Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ around this table to, to celebrate your return. And at this time, as we pray, Father, we have recognised through the words spoken today that this is an intensely personal time, but it's also significantly a corporate time of coming together, your people. And in all of that, Father, we recognise that that's to do with relationship, relationship with you and relationship with our fellow believers here in this church at this time, at this day, at this moment. And Father, we understand relationship is one of those things that brings much joy and brings much sadness. And you knew that, Lord Jesus, for you lived amongst friends and disciples who denied you, who deserted you, who betrayed you when you looked most for them to be there. And yet you were able to say, forgive them. So, Father, we would pray today as we partake of this bread the bread of heaven that came to earth so it might be the bread of life that we might know that same spirit in our lives here this day. Thank you. We pray this in your name. Amen. So as you're served, just take the bread and eat it in memory of the Lord. Savior, Redeemer, is 
come to this symbol of your blood shed for us shed that we might be saved shed that we might have a future Lord we give you thanks for ourselves and for many others who will be doing this on this day in Jesus name Amen As you are served, take your glass and hold it. That's the tradition here in our church to do that. And then we drink it together when everybody is served.
Yes, sir. 